What's going on, everybody? Good evening. Good evening. Hey. hey. We're live. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good, good, good. Let me uh fade out of the story, which slaps, I should say. Uh, throw on our theme real quick. What's up, man? Uh, not much. Chilling. It's a pleasure to finally con finally connect since uh, Croatia, man. I know. It, it seems like yesterday and like years ago at the same time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like a weird combination of both. I know, man. How you doing? Good. Just uh, relaxing here on a, what is it, a Friday? I'm kind of confused on what day of the week it is. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is that I've, I've been bouncing between the time zones so much since we started doing this. <laughs> oh. You know what I mean? Just, you know, we were in, we were in uh, Edmonton, um, uh, I guess, a couple of days ago. And then we were in Brooklyn uh, a couple of nights before that. So now we're in Dallas. All righty. You're, you're at home in Brooklyn? I'm in L.A., man. Did you know? Oh, LA. Yeah. Yeah, I live in LA now. Uh, Sam is in is in Ridgewood. Uh, oh. Yeah, he's in Ridgewood. But yeah, I moved out to LA. Uh, gosh, July two thousand nineteen. Yeah, um, and I love it, man. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, after a whole entire life of living, I guess in Chicago for sixteen years. Um, and then living in, you know, St. Louis and D.C. and then ultimately Brooklyn for 10 years. Yeah. I really appreciate palm trees, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't miss living. I mean, it's fine visiting winter, but I don't miss living in real winter. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no. It, it's funny, my kids, um, they brag to, like, their neighbor who has basically lived in LA all his life, they're like, oh, you've never seen snowballs for real. Like you've never played with snow. And I'm like, y'all was scared of snow just a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're pros because they're the, you know, the New York kids in LA. So it is what it is, man. What, um, what are you sipping on tonight? Uh, I've got some green tea. Mm. I went for some Jap Japanese, I forget what brand, I don't know. I don't, I'm usually more of a coffee person. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the first two sets, I, I, I did uh, teas. Um, tonight, I'm doing coffee. Uh, hey, it's a hot product, but a Starbucks Christmas uh, blend. No. It's quite delicious, though. It's got a little spicy undertone. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I ran out of co I'm a coffee person. I realized I was ran out. Well, I got some beans that I could grind up, but I don't really like the one. Like, I have some Derek Carter coffee and some DJ Heather coffee. Like they have their own lines of coffee. Are you in serious? Chicago. Yeah, I need to get those right now. Yeah, like <laughs> let me. I'll I'll grab it really quick. It's worth showing. Yeah, please, please, please. Let's let's hawk all the product. <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, I, I would absolutely love to get down on that. Um, we've been buying um, some California-based coffee brands, but uh, either you got your. Oh, your, yeah. your Derek Carter blend and then the DJ Heather. You got so you got you need oh, your Chicago yeah. coffee going on there. I need that. I need that in my life. <laughs> Although I must say with these bean I'm kind of a dark coffee person, so I like it really Dang. dark. Like I'm kind of a French roast guy, so I kind of just keep I've had these it's more of like collector. Like I I just like having it. Yeah. I only use them if I'm out of the other coffee. I'm trying to save keep them saved. What age did you start drinking coffee? Uh, when I started going to San Francisco, I like had never had coffee ever until, I mean, this was like, you know, 94 or so. I think I started having coffee because coffee was a thing in San Francisco in the 90s. Like yeah. in Chicago, we, I mean, I even, we didn't even really hang out in, like there was one coffee shop we would go to in San Francisco because a friend worked there, but I would yeah. never think of getting coffee until I was in San Francisco. So... That's and then eventually I got a, like, you know, I have an espresso machine that I use. So I'm, okay. I'm making my own espresso in the morning. I'm an espresso yeah. person now. Oh, boy, hold on. My cat's on the mixer. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Shout out to check out these comments. Dream machine. Hello, DJ Cam Jam. Hey cat. What's your cat's name? Oh, uh, this is Bubby. Bubby. We have okay. a couple. 
I have three, actually. The other one's over here on the speaker. Oh, squat. Okay. He, like, he like sits on that. It's like a little hammock on the is that, speaker. Is that, a, is that a she or? This is, they're both he's. Both he's? There is a girl yeah. somewhere. He's There's got his, uh, his, his bodega stance down. Yep. He's <laughs> a troublemaker. He keeps wanting to jump, like, behind the mixer cords and be in all the cords. I'm like, God damn it, stop it. The, that, but you know what, though? At some point, that sounds like a children's cartoon that should happen. <laughs> <laughs> Captain always gets in trouble in the studio. I don't know. Like, I've tried to block strategically every pathway back there, but he still gets back there like he... Yeah. Uh, so that's my battle. I mean, they're, you know, if, if you ever watch them in, in, in the bodegas, man, they they know how to move through a labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely do. Shy Town, what up? Joyce 29 what's happening? Wicked Coffee Game, I love it. I love it, yeah. No, man, um, what would you be doing right now if we were not live? Um, well, initially this weekend I was going to play actually, and I ended up canceling just because with COVID stuff, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. I could have been in Florida and Texas, like last night would have been Florida. I guess tonight would have been Florida. And then tomorrow I was supposed to play here in Dallas, but I'm just not too comfortable yet with COVID clubbing, you know, Texas and Florida are pretty much open, you know, and like I went out to. You know, there's a club here, it'll do, it's called, that it has guests, you know, like Derek was there about a month ago or so, and who else was just there, you know, they got a variety of people, like Gene Ferris was just there. And Where? Is that in the, um, like, in the Deep Ellum area? No, it's a little off the beaten path. It's okay. like East Dallas, it's called. Okay, got it. Well, I went and saw Derek, I was just, I don't know, I'm still a little uncomfortable with covid clubbing you know it's like um they say it's like 75 percent capacity but the only yeah. way you would tell that it's not normal is just people have masks on it seemed normal crowded to me you know, and, you know people yeah. are drinking you know and you know you take your you can have your mask off to drink obviously i can't so, I, i'm gonna be honest man i i just i can't see it for myself man anytime soon man i got yeah it's, it's not even yeah like i honestly i'm sitting around spending my time um racking my brain these days about just unique ways to, to kind of uh you know set up virtual virtual performances I, I i don't know if you've seen but i play with green screens a lot you know what i mean okay so i'm thinking about things like that you know how to how to put artists in the club physically in the club you know yeah. um well, not physically but uh virtually in the club so to speak things gotcha. like that so um yeah because i just i can't even play with it man <laughs> yeah i mean I like doing the stream thing and that, but like I said, I would like Derek played and I hadn't seen Derek in a while, Carter. And I figure, you know, I got to go say hey to him. And, but I admit it was hard to last at the club for like an hour seemed like forever. You know, I was in the corner. Watching everybody, worried about everybody. Then for a whole week after, you know, I was like stressed out. I'm like, did I get COVID at the club? (sighs) Bruh. (laughs) It wasn't really worth it. I don't want to knock on, you know, I know there's like a lot of, you know, people are get upset at clubs that are open and people going out. I mean, I don't want to knock on anybody. I'm just, it's not for me personally. And that's how absolutely. I feel. No, absolutely. Someone else yeah. digs it. That's cool. Everybody's trying to figure out a way to, you know, either get by or financially, financially get yeah. by, you know, the, 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 everybody's impacted so hard by it all. So, you know, I get it, but to, you know, play at your own risk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I understand that. You know, clubs got bills. Everybody's got bills. Yeah. So, but for me personally, if I can wait it out, uh oh, hold on, I sense trouble. What are you doing? <laughs> he, he like jumps on the speaker and then like launches down into the cords. That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't have my squirt. If I have my squirt bottle. So yeah, I decided, and I'm a single parent, so okay. it's just you know, and like I'm. I'm Knock on wood, I you know was gigging. I saved some money. I didn't know I was going to need it now. I could yep. save for a later you know date, but I can get by you know for a bit and yeah, just being out. It was just too. It just wasn't fun like to be out clubbing. So you, tomorrow I was supposed to play all night, like nine to two, which you know in normal circumstance would be fun, but because yep. I thought about it, I'm like I, it was hard to last an hour at Derek. I'm like, how am I going to do five hours in the same? You know? Yep. So I just decided, eh, I'm not ready. 
I can dig but it. Normally, I mean, I guess COVID stuff, I'm just chilling. Like, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm a single parent. My kid's 10. Okay. But, you know, he's at school at the moment. So, you know, he stays, well, he try. he wants to stay up late. Like, he wants to stay at, like, you know, 11 is late to him. He's like, that's what my eye. Stay up late. He's like, oh, yeah. I don't have school right now. Well, because he's on break. He's like, yeah. come on, let me stay up late. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. <laughs> 10 is a good time to go to bed, I think. Did, 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 he, did he make it up? Um, did he stay up past, uh, or did he make it to uh, midnight last night? Yeah, well, we both fell asleep a little, and then we woke up before midnight. Okay. So, and then we went out. There was, like, there's this tower here that they have fireworks off of. And it was pretty. It was pretty crowded out, actually. You know, the weather was. Yeah. It's not good. It wasn't really good weather for Dallas. It was you okay. know, cold and rainy. But there's a lot of people out. Yeah. So it was fun. This is actually yeah the first New Year's I've been with. You know, he's ten. I've never hung out with him on a New Year's Eve because I'm always working. Always at a gig, right? Yeah. So I think he liked it. I bet. <laughs> I, I, bet. I bet. How old are you? Say you have you have kids? Yeah, I've got two. I've got two. I've got a seven and a six. Um, oh. my seven will be eight in, in about three months but okay yeah so it's you know I'm kind of perpetually always um just in this balance of like I do a lot of digital work so I mean outside of of course the music stuff I'm mm -hmm. a designer um I do web development work in tech product design the whole thing and so kind of judge like balancing that space between like being glued to my laptop you know, or trying to uh, trying to write. It's funny, like they judge my devices differently. So <laughs> if if I'm this is at least what I figured out. If I'm on my phone, I look like I'm playing. If I'm on my tablet, they trust it. And if I'm if they, they well they they believe that I could be doing you know research, taking notes, in all of the above, book anything. <laughs> um, and then if I'm on a laptop, they genuinely like they're like you're working too hard, Daddy. You're doing too much. So when I need to like sneak and write or like, and I say, when I say sneak, I mean basically like sit amongst them, but like not have them constantly trying to daddy, 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 you know, um, what I need to do that is the tablet. So just these little cultural hacks that you figure out to, <laughs> to, you know, keep the peace and keep the love, man. But yeah, um, it's just such a unique time, you know, and, and I, 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 for all of the struggle and all of the stress of it, as a parent, I really appreciate the fact that, like, you know, if, if you're a, if you have the the resources, like, you can really kind of set your kids up to, like, these kids are gonna be super advanced. I feel like, you know, compared to, of course, what we were, but then even just the generations right before them, you know, like the, the littlest kids who are having to figure out this digital tech, you know, the digital spaces and the virtual spaces and all of that, it's gonna be limitless for them. You know what I mean? In a, in a couple yeah. of day. Assuming that everything emotionally was was, was structured mm -hmm. decently, like has your schools been open there at all, or no? They've been closed. Yeah, they're they're, they're closed. They they've got the um, you know, they've got these the uh, what they call a hybrid system for um, certain schools that cater to um, like to special needs um, student groups and things like that. And mm -hmm. so some of those spaces have figured out how to kind of have, I guess, like small group part of the time um, and physical spaces, but everything else has been virtual nonstop. Mm. Yeah, my, I mean, luckily still the schools have been open here. My kid's been in school since September, he went, you know, September, yeah. like after, right after Labor Day, he started in school. Okay. So that gave me a nice little daytime break because there was a point, you know, my homeschooling skills by myself, <laughs> my skill set was limited. I hear that. <laughs> I think it had reached its peak. Yeah, yeah. I am. I, I myself am no. Uh, I am no. You know, scholastic Olympian in that regard. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you know, you work it out. You do what you got to do. <laughs> no, exactly. That we all do. Um, I want to let you know before we go too far that one of my first experiences with clubbing basically like underage clubbing um i saw you um and i believe it was i want to say maybe like funky Buddha or something like that mm. and now i'm i'm young so um this was probably i want to say like 2001 maybe mm. um and i was already as a like as a little guy I mean, I, I, you know, hip hop was kind of my base, R&B and like soul, you know, 
one of my bases. Jazz was one of, was one of my father's bases, so I was always kind of attached to all of that. So as a young guy, like, I got into Jamiroquai, like, right when it was happening, you know, Soul to Soul, things like that, as a really little dude. And um, when I say that after experiencing your set in Funky Buddha, I kind of understood then, like, the fusion, so to speak, Ooh. of just all of those things that, that brought me to music, period, you know, um, yeah. that fusion. It... I want to say that it definitely kind of set a course. Um, I think from that point forward, and mind you, I was mostly into underground hip hop in terms of like what I was doing and what I was creating, and what I was, you know, what I knew and what I navigated. But I was always trying to pull from other spaces and, you know, not just the obvious 70s fuck samples, things like that, but just always kind of trying to curate a very specific blend of, mm -hmm. of sounds just from one of those first experiences, man. So. I just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> that was that was a good year. That was I want to say right about when vinyl was just starting to phase out. It was around two thousand ish, two thousand one when CDJs first came out. Yeah, trying to think. So there was that whole shift around then. But yeah, in Chicago there was a bunch of stuff. It was a good place around then too, like you know, Red Dog and Zentra and yep, some good times back then, definitely. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, that that was. That was the beginning for me. And, and I had been doing like, I was basically in, in and out the open mics. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, that, that, that whole angle. But um, every now and then, like at the time I was like six foot two and <laughs> had a fake ID. So <laughs> I got to, you know, move around a little bit um, as like 16 and 17 year old. And yeah, it just, you know, and I was already in the record shops. Like I was DJing as early, I guess around like 14. Um, <laughs> So like I was in like uh, Dr. Wax, um, you know, we, we, we called it a road trip up to, to Gramophone because I'm a South Sider. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Dr. Wax was definitely like, uh, that was the home base. And Ooh. so I was actually like going there and buying vinyl and things like that and like, you know, picking up mix CDs and things like that. So I kind of had this, I don't know, I had this eye on what y'all were doing at the time. Um, but I was nowhere near, <laughs> you know, as sharp or as skilled to, to, to kind of navigate it or really know my way around it. But I was a young guy just kind of trying to observe and, and, and you know, I guess, I, again, just that attention to, to fusions and the potential for fusions uh, was some, is something that has kind of driven what we've done, what I've done as an artist. And then now what we're doing is David Sam, you know, right now. So, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. To, to the point, and this is actually going to kind of sound a little weird, one of my first, like, DJ mixtape series as a college student was called Pure White Audio, and I was not at all doing cocaine. <laughs> so it was a little bit, trying to keep a little bit of hip-hop hip edge to it, but it was basically inspired, you know, by just that titling, like, Mushroom Jazz, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah, I always found, I mean, Chicago in that, Chicago in that era, like, you couldn't it was hard to slow it down bpm wise in a mm -hmm. lot of places like because chicago was always such a house town nobody liked yeah. it if it went below 120 people would be like eh. yeah like, you know like it's too slow like you know you'd have to play in like a b chill room with no dance floor or anything but you yeah know, but other places geographically other than chicago were into slower tempos which i always found interesting when i started traveling around then like like even yeah, mo like it was just hard in a party or a club in Chicago to slow it down unless it was like the yep. end of the night or you're opening up, you know, and playing a little early. Otherwise it was like, you know, one twenty-five all night, you know, like, you know, Chicago is more up-tempo-y. Tense. You know, like 127, <laughs> 128. Yeah. Like I listen to a lot of my old cassettes. The house cassettes are a bit faster than I play now by a couple beats per minute. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, musically musically my sweet spot at, at this point in time is probably like 110 um yeah probably 110 clearly you know we get it done at 120 um you know but 110 is definitely like my personal sweet spot in terms of of production i'd say and then if it's if it goes a be above that i, I want it to go in the, the 130 140 territory you know what i mean because yep. i grew up you know on, on footwork as well so like 
that, you know, like I know what to do in that, in that 140 space vocally as well. So it's it got to be like either to just totally pushing the tempo or kind of right in that sweet spot. So, yeah, the groove. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely appreciate that, man. Um, what is what's a warm record that you can think of right now? A warm one of the warmest records you can you can think of. The warmest, huh? That's a good question. Let me think. I mean, I was listening to old Larry Heard. You know, I've been listening to some old mm -hmm. Larry Heard this week. Yep. So, like, grab like some of his good old stuff. Like, let me, I'll grab him really quick. I got him right here. Yeah, throw it on or something. So you know, put some tunes on for the people. Oh yeah, y'all are all in these comments. What's up? Being an abstract used to catch you at Fever and Be More. That's what's up. I mean, I guess during lockdown, I've been discovering a lot of track like records where like I used to play a certain track on the record, but then didn't play a different track. So I've been discovering, you know, tunes on the records I had that I was playing like another like track on there out, and so yeah. And, so yeah, I mean, warm stuff. Some good old Larry Heard. Yeah, can't beat that. Like, and some other remixes of his. Like, like for some reason, this album I didn't listen to tons until until the last few months, and I was like, I mean, that's the bonus of I mean, just being working in a store for a while. Yeah, you we used to just buy stuff because you know we had like a little credit a gramophone, so you'd buy some records and. Sometimes it takes a while to digest everything, you know, yeah. you know, or like I said, there's a specific track that we would rock, you know, off an album. Yeah. But even back then, like, like, you know, like say like a double import album was like 20 bucks back yeah. then, you know, it was like something that not everybody would get. But if there's that one track on there, you're like, you know, only a couple of people are going to have it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, uh, I, I definitely, allegedly uh sold but in, in high school to afford vinyl <laughs> so so I, I i understand i understand yeah i mean i was like gramophone had this like little card system yeah like at the counter for employees you had like a little index card where you could basically it was like in-store credit you know mm -hmm. then your paycheck would go towards that so you'd write down like instead of paying for the records that day you could Right, you'd write them on this card, yeah, and then you know, sort of make payments on it, which was like what all the employees did. But it was like a great way to be able to afford records before you had all the cash. You know, like it was, and then you know you'd get your paycheck, and I'd just sign it over to ground phone. You'd like, Basically, <laughs> just give it back. Here you go, and then like you know you'd take money off your card, and you'd like like you put it on your card, yeah. And so that was a, a bonus. Yeah, I still though you know those were the good vinyl days, like when you know Derek was doing the ordering at the yeah. time, you know and. Yeah, just things like say you'd only get five copies of something in a week, you know, mm -hmm. like, and then you have to wait for the next shipment. But like sometimes the record, you know, amongst employees wouldn't even make it to the shelf because you'd have you know five to ten people like getting dibs on it before it's even, you know, before it's up on a rack, you know, in the store. Yeah, that's definitely one okay. bonus of of lockdown is I've been you know organizing a lot of vinyl that it wasn't so organized before. Yeah. What's your um what's your organization system? Uh it was I mean you know, like first genre like house. Okay. You know I've got like Chicago section, Detroit, and then I've got like you know like over there say like the whole top 3 shelves back here is all hip hop. Mm -hmm. And then the three shell the three rows below that is all acid jazzy stuff. Okay. And then like there's like another rack over there that's like soul funk and then into like 80s you know, industrial stuff and then like a bunch of spoken word. Yeah. And like house I've always divided between import and domestic. You know, if it was like okay. record, like US records always went together and but now I've been trying to, you know, I divide it by label and uh. like, you know, and then you know, like Masters of Work section, Todd Terry section, uh, yeah. Like I mean you kind of you basically re like building a record shop in your home. <laughs> yeah, pretty much it got like you know, stuff that warrants either divided by label or artist accordingly. 
we, but, we got a, a question in the um, in the comments. On average, how much new vinyl do you acquire? This is from Catfish. Hey, Catfish, that's a little scary. Do you sell, gift, or donate any unwanted records? Um, yeah, I, I mean, well, I'm lucky. I never, you know, some people I found, you know, you, if you move somewhere, like that was always the, the, I don't know, the hard thing of being a DJ. Sometimes you moved and you had to downsize your records for space. So I was lucky where I always had, I never had to get rid of a bunch of stuff to, to move somewhere. So I've kind of kept everything. I don't buy as many records as I used to, obviously. Like now I find I buy old stuff or I'll buy like, if I find a mint copy of something I beat up playing out, yeah. like, you know, like an old house thing. And used record wise, I don't sell many, like I haven't, I'm trying to think, you know, it's been a while, even since I lived in San Francisco where I would, you know, brought records into cell. Mm -hmm. You know, to like, I think, you know, probably it was like Amoeba in San Francisco was the last time in the 90s that I, you know, sold some stuff to like, you know, you're basically, you know, doing like a clearing to get other records, basically. Basically, I just keep them and organize them. Um, the ones I, like, the only bad records you get are some bad promos, like when you're on mailing lists in the 90s, like I would get some crappy promos that you're like, but usually sometimes selling them, you know, you wasn't, you wouldn't get much for them because they're yep. crap records. <laughs> so I made like a record tower with the ones I don't like. It's like a, it's about yay tall. Of That's hilarious. <laughs> and I had put like a metal piece through the, like I went to the hardware store and got like a, it's like a, it's like a bolt, a long yeah. bolt and just put them on that. And it weighs like a ton. I could probably kill somebody if it fell on them. <laughs> it's like a, but it's all bad promos that I just, instead of trying to sell them, I've made this sculpture out of them. I, I I definitely have a um from my days of like going to uh like South by Southwest and, and, and you know, doing that that skit CMJ and all of that through the years, I have a, a whole stack of bad promos. <laughs> well let me not, let me put that down before actually I offend somebody. But um kind of the same thing. Like I respect music too much to throw it away. Um, yeah. you, you know, so I just kind of always collected it. So now that I've got uh, you know, my own little little cave or whatever, uh, and here I'll give you all a sneak peek because they usually only see one angle of it. But this is my little cave. Oh, nice. But um, yeah. Now that now that that I've kind of got a dedicated space, I try and at least still, um, yeah, just give them their own little nook. They got a little box under the desk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got a, my CD like that was a crazy stage the promo cd stage was a bit of a mess because you just get handed so many promo cds you know yeah. the clubs back in in that 2000 to 2010 range like you know with hand printing you know, like some labels some like with just little scribbles on it yeah like i'm like what is this that like i've got like, boxes of stuff you know like, a lot of it i incorporate like the good stuff i would in incorporate into my whatever dj uh zipper CD cases, but there's still a big pile of stuff that's, yeah. And then there's a lot of bad, like major label. Yeah. I think when, when still major labels were more involved in dance music with like just some bad stuff, but yeah, I'd, now I've been like, like I said, I, if I'm going to buy stuff lately, I buy old records, you know, like that I, that I relearn about, you know, old funk, old disco that, you know, cause I didn't always learn about it when it, came out you know it's always like a you know it's an ongoing process you're like oh that's where that sample's from so like occasionally maybe i'll do an order from juno or mm. you know something like that like every couple of months yeah i mean maybe i'd do it now there was like because there was a period just playing out where i mean like you can't play vinyl at a lot of parties because unless you're playing for a dj that has the love and knowledge of vinyl yeah like it's a lost art of setting up turntables properly. So, you know, like you bring records somewhere and like, you know, it's skipping or the bass is feeding back or something, unless it's a DJ that plays vinyl in that venue yep. regularly and they know what they're doing. No, that that makes me think of uh, of the, the I Love Vinyl Party. Shout out to Twilight Tone um, and all of those guys. They, they were doing it in New York. Uh, that was, I used to love that. <laughs> I used to love that. And they would literally bring out just you know crates basically and just get it down like yeah yeah i like it when it's you know when it's done right but there's definitely a bunch of times where i like bring vinyl and you put like like shit wasn't working you're like yeah <laughs> like 
yeah, or like, yeah, just it's just a lost art unless it's no. just, you know. I hear that. I, I started out on on uh, <laughs> Newmark uh, for like TT TT one hundred belt drives or something like that. Um, eventually, eventually graduated to uh, Technics and then basically left them behind in St. Louis um, to make rent and <laughs> the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, twelve hundreds were like currency. Like if you yeah. kept them in good shape, like they didn't lose their value ever and. I mean, it was always like, like a holy grail though. So like, yeah, it took me years to get, you know, like I remember like I had a one friend who somehow his parents like bought him 1200s and like he had just started spinning and we were like, how'd you get 1200s? Out the gate. Like, damn it. Out the gate. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, they were always like, you know, I remember like you'd like search for someone who had them at their house so you could just go use them. Like yeah. just, to, you know, like to practice on them. Like it was like, there was a an entry level gap if you didn't have stuff to you know mm -hmm. get access to the equipment like yep so now i mean i i think that's a i guess a bonus of the whole digital age is it gives i think kids a little easier access to djing than maybe you know it was like you, know, you had to have records you needed turntables you needed a bunch yep. of stuff back then and now you can like i mean i can i can control <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, um, it's funny. I find now that, and I haven't like, you know, consistently bought like vinyl. I kind of buy vinyl and I just see things that are special, you know, and things that I really appreciate as I come across now. Every now and then, and we haven't done this at all in 2020, but um, my wife and I have this thing where whenever we would go on like either road trips or just go out of town to like just anywhere, any remote place, we would always try and find a goodwill in the nearest remote remote town to what so if we're going like somewhere in Michigan then we stop in like Lansing you know what I mean yeah. um, or like you know something like that just to hit a goodwill and get dollar vinyl and just you know oh, well we get more than that she she's not getting vinyl she's <laughs> getting clothes and, and, and all kind of stuff like that but I always would, would would leave out with probably 15 bucks of dollar vinyl you know what I mean and just just kind of take the take the ride basically yeah. um, Sometimes you find, you, you find really, most stuff that I find in there is really dope samples, but of course, you know, you do find some classic pieces and you're like, damn, like somebody really let this sit up in a Goodwill for, you know, $1. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah, like I, that's my thing too. When I'm, you know, when I was gigging normally on the weekend, I'd always get a rent a car so I could go, you know, I'd, on Yelp, I'd find somewhere to eat and find a record store. And pretty much every town, I'd you know hit hit the record store, but you know generally buying, like I said, more old stuff like, or you know like, they're still rare in America. Like you know, gramophone still you know has good yeah. new records, but there's not it's not a thing in a lot of places in the country where you can get good new you know that someone that keeps new records in stock. Yeah. So yeah, just on Yelp. All right, where am I? I'm in Grand Rapids. Oh Yelp, there's a record store here. You know that's what like getting a rent a car is always good because it's cheaper than an uber and then i can just mm -hmm. go where i want and not have to you know be picked up so always you know just get a rent a car go eat somewhere find a couple record stores and so that's a definitely a fun hobby here there's there's two really good there's a couple of good stores in dallas area where you can find good used stuff so what's um my people are uh at uh josie you, you yeah know? yeah okay. I, I recorded a did had an in-store that i mean like a stream that aired today that I okay. filmed there. Oh, no. Okay. Word. Yes. Well, shout out to the family this week. But yeah, that's <laughs> shout out to them. Shout out to, to New Mac. My, my ties in, in Dallas actually, um, you know, kind of connected through a few different streams. My um, my in-laws are all in Dallas. And oh. then um, and, and my wife actually was living there when we first met. Um, when I first met, I'm sorry, we first started like dating, I'll say, because we, we had met prior to that. Um, but then also um, our first... EP, our first project as Dave and Sam. Um, you still got me? Yeah. All right, cool. All right, bet. Sorry, guys. But um, yeah, um, New Math. Uh, we, 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 we did the, yeah. the first EP with uh, JT Donaldson. Um, just the serendipity of all of the people you know who that record found because of that um 
the fact that Derek, <laughs> you know, even still with doing this record with JT, that Derek Carter was involved, and then that just, you know, turned into what it did. So, um, yeah, that, Dallas, Dallas is, is is very very deep for me. Uh, a lot of love for that town. Yeah, I miss. I'm sad JT moved to Austin. I miss him. Ah, when did he move to Austin? I didn't even know. Been like over a year now. Okay. Two years almost. So, yeah, he was like my main, I think my best friend here in Dallas. Like, don't leave. So, but yeah, JT's he's the man though. He's he's got it going on. What um? So outside of the tunes that you sent me, which I am knee deep in right now. what are you working on right now? Um, just more stuff like that. I'm, I'm always kind of moving stuff around. I mean, I'll, I'll show over this way. I've got, I'm still not a computer person. I'm more gear oriented. So I got like a beautiful, beautiful setup, man. Setup here that I do. You know, like I'm kind of always tinkering between you know having different MIDI stuff together. Yeah. Um, JT was like, is like the MPC master. So he was like sort of like I, I've been an old M- I was always an MPC person, but I find I got the MPC X and it's a bit more of a um, learning curve up from the 3000. Yeah. You know, 4000, which is like, actually I need to get a repair, but I was like, I used to do all my tracks on the, you know, 4000 basically. Okay. But then now I've, I've been messing with, like, I got that Pioneer, the, it's covered up right now, because I've been in vinyl mode, but I've been messing with this thing a lot, that DJS 1000. Do you cop new gear, or do you, or do you hunt for vintage gear, for, like, specifics? Um, yeah, I, I'm more of a old, I guess I got some old stuff. I really like, I'm a fan of um, this series, this old Emu series. I don't know if you've seen mm. these ever. There's like uh, a, there's a purple one and a silver one, all of the same. Like, looks the same, and it's just pad. Like, I'm not a keyboard player. Yeah, I suck yeah. at piano, piano and all that. I'm like a pad person, so I usually sync that. You know, like I do samples on the MPC, and then that has like a lot of you know keyboard sounds and stuff. There's like a rack version of that that a lot of people use too. Okay. But, like in terms of those single old piece of gear, I really like. I still love that thing. Like I've got the perp. You know, you can find them used for like four hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something that's super popular. You know, and they're all discontinued. But it's a lot of fun. Like you, I like it because um, each track has sixteen parts, and you could punch okay. them in and out. You like okay. you know, say so make one track, and it has like you know one or like two sequence bar, eight bar. Like you can punch in and out all the parts by hand. Yeah, I like. I don't like thinking about arrangement. Okay. In terms of like a cute, like a computer sort of structuring, like yeah, you know, this to go for sixty-four measures and then this. Like <laughs> no, I, I just like to press stuff and just feel it. Just play like a, like a musician. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then with that, like I got the DJS one thousand right as lockdown started. I mean, I've, I've been trying to, you know, just do like this less is more concept, like not mm-hmm. to try and make the most of the tracks you have, but not go unlimited. That's what I felt like, you know, most, a lot of the stuff I really love when you break it down is fairly simple, you know, yeah. when it comes like, you know, just drums, bass, you know, some keys, a sample, like doesn't get all crazy. And I don't know. So I've been trying to, I've been just using just that, like, the, the DJS 1000 it, it only has I mean, that's the only problem like you know, with the MPC you would have you could have like four what a four banks of sounds you know, like yeah. you can change with that that you can only have the one bank like you only get the 16 sounds like you can't change banks yeah. which I'm hoping they'll have a software update at some point that will allow that I mean I guess the way around it is to get two of them and sync them up but so yeah I've just been doing you know, sometimes I'll start a track like it'll be like an odd vocal sample. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll just start programming some drums and then see where it goes. I, I don't know, but I've always been a gear person. I'm not like the stuff. Um, if you're familiar with Homero Espinosa, who I do some tracks with. 
I've been I've been checking out the new ones. Yeah, I was gonna. He's, that's definitely one of the things I was gonna ask you about was that collaboration as far as the series. Yeah. And he's more like he knows how to fuse. Like he's an Ableton genius, and you okay. know, that's how you use the two worlds together of yeah. gear and computer. Where I get you know, like, like if I had to do something myself on Ableton, I'd be sitting there like you know looking at tutorials and like hey, do that. And, and, like, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas he, I could just tell him like, all right, I want you know let's do this but let's have the filter change you know for all these measures he's like all right do the filter you know and then like you know like then i'm recording like the filter sweeps through the whole song it's like he's really good at it's definitely good to have you know like a good engineer is priceless yeah. when you have somebody who can just uh you know do what the equipment can do and you know do it quick so you know and that's what i always tell people like it doesn't matter what you have it's just that so you can make the equipment that you have do what you want it to do that's it that's it. That's it. And, and honestly, I mean, that that speaks to the concept of mastery, right? You know, that, that, that goes at the end of the day, there's there's a um, there's a philosophy or there's a theory. And, you know, it's like at some point you either master the craft or you master the philosophy and the theory around it. And then if you can do that, then you should be able to apply it to any any interface, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of, you know, like there's no right way to make a track. But yep. it's just trying to play on your strengths. And I don't know. I'm always the worst. I mean, I think every, probably everybody is their worst own critic, I would think. I mean, or your, your toughest critic. You know, I'm always yeah. like, hey. like, I'm I'm bad at playing my own tracks, you know, unless, like, you know, someone would ask for a specific track. I'm like, I'm, I'm just never, like, I'm not going to play all my own tracks in my own set ever. Like, that, I barely play one track. Like, I don't know. I just something I'm, like, weird about, like, I'd rather play someone else's track than my own for some reason. So, but it's always been a, you know, I've been, I'm trying to say, what was the, the MPC 60, you know, I had in the, you know, like nineties, early nineties. And yeah, that the air Farina album, I did pretty much all on an MPC 60 with, I think with the emu to one of those, like the purple one. So yeah, I've been, that's, you know, another bonus of being locked down is, you know, like I said, I've been organizing records and then trying to, you know, re re-get a sound with production and because definitely there's when you're going away every weekend that gives you limited studio time you know like it, true it was always a you know a balance because you know if i have gigs lined up i'm going to do dj homework as opposed to make a track you know which i was yep. it's like i mean you know i'm sure you know like i don't know when you're making a track just the time goes by and like you're like i just spent you know two hours like you know yep. messing, <laughs> messing air drums like like, no, I, trust me, I understand. I, I um, in my in my hip hop um space, I was the producer in our rap duo, and we got tracks from other producers, but I was the producer, and I was totally digital. Like I know, I, I didn't know how to play any instruments, but was feeling my way around mm -hmm. basically everything that I got my hands on. But because I came from DJing initially, I understood, you know, basically the song structure and kind of had this this sense of what's supposed to happen and that's really what i let guide me um mm -hmm. but yeah I, I definitely um like now that i just have kind of gotten to a space where i'm like i you know i'm sure that i could you know do, do some dope stuff if i played around but i i'm a writer like i'm a writer i'm a vocalist and i've kind of settled into that but the way that i get my issue off now is i'm probably in sam's text messages and like a few of my other producer uh you know brothers that's best you know my, my best friends like with samples or concepts or you know it can be anything from like hit sample this to you know hey go check out the um check out the lead melody on this record i feel like that would go crazy at 120 bpm so like mm -hmm. you know one of my guys that, that that leads a jazz um a jazz trio i'm like yo take what you're doing right now and mess around with this DJ Rashad, you know, and just see what you come up with. Um, yeah. So that's, that's how I get my production itch off now. Um, but <laughs> I, I do have one question I want to ask you. I'm, I, I've been scrolling through the comments and it's actually, it's pretty awesome, man. Like people have a ton of memories. People are talking about seeing you in Toronto, you know, with, with a flashlight in your mouth, playing on three decks, <laughs> killing it. Um, People are asking when is when is a uh, mushroom jazz nine coming? That's kind of in the works. Like um, that was one of the the things. Like the last one I did was in San Francisco, and 
I did with all the tracks, I re-edited them to make them DJ friendly, like every track, like at Homero Studio. Yeah. But being not traveling, I haven't, like, I can't do the edits myself personally because I don't have that skill. And we haven't, well, I haven't tried hard, but just doing it remotely, doing the edits I want, like, say, in a format like this, still yeah. seems like a leap. Like, I was waiting for a time where I would go to San Francisco and do all these edits at his place because mm -hmm. that was a big step of the last volume because basically the whole, I mean, and, you know, I mean, you know, like a lot of those hip-hop tracks are all short. They're, like, yeah. two, three minutes. A lot of the ones I really like, you know, like, you're, like, two minutes, 38 seconds. Damn, yeah. like, you could have made it a little longer. Like, I mean, it's a great cut but they're like all really short so they don't need like 28 of them or so like for a yeah. so many of those but you know i ended up you know chopping you know, like extending intros and you know just basically rearranged every track i got from everybody for the mix so that's been my hold up okay. to move forward with the, the the next volume but it's coming soon i mean i've got a lot of the tracks in the wings that i'm using from people yeah but I've just been held up about that stuff. I'm like, well, how, yeah, I got the tracks, but I know I'm going to have to rework them. How am I going to do that? So, and then JT left and that would have been my other, like, I think, you know, he would probably have the skill to do some re-edits, whereas my editing skills on a computer are limited. Yeah. I, I would, yeah, like I said, be wasting time looking at tutorials. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, that's a bonus to, you know, like the COVID thing, you know, it's horrible and all, but, you know, I'm pretty grateful that I've been doing it for a long time. There's like a yeah. lot of years in the bag and like, you know, I more feel for the, some of the younger guys that were coming up and that this put a, like, you know, a pretty kibosh on a lot of, you know, younger careers, but yeah, a, you know, like being, a, you know, I mean, I want to say for new year's, this was the first new year's I had off since like 1987, basically. <sighs> Like I'm trying to think, eighty-eight, maybe eighty-eight, eighty-seven. Like I was trying to think, like you know, like every other New Year's, I'm, you know, it's the DJ's night. You're always playing on New Year's. Yeah. And I don't think I ever, like, I would have had to have purposefully taken off a New Year's for some, you know, reason. But I don't ever yeah. remember doing that. So, yeah, you know, it's been a, a long run of clubbing that, you know, playing every week somewhere, you know, since, nineteen ninety, basically. So. Maybe even, you know, 89, it all started. Like, I want to say, you know, I had a waiter job that I had to give up a waiter shift in Chicago, you know, to take a DJ shift that, you know, made about the same money. And that was around 88-ish, 89. So, yeah, it's, you know, it was a good long run of a lot of gigs. So, yeah, you know, like people like, I met my wife at your show, you know, in 19, you know, 93. And, you know, we yeah. eight, you know, like, which is a, it's a cool thing to be like a soundtrack to a lot of people's upbringings you know definitely i still yeah. i don't know like i still reminisce about you know like clubs pre-phones like was like i'm glad i got to experience that it seems like mm -hmm. such a far off place from now like i mean i know they're here being and there in a There's party like, and just being in it <laughs> yeah just be not worrying about you know like broadcasting or saying where you're at you're just worried about getting to the party yeah you know and then when you look at some of the old photos we're like you know, nobody has phones you know and maybe there's like that random one person who's a photographer like you know you know, like the, like the one guy that always has a camera who's an actual yeah. photographer would show up sometimes to a party and that was yeah. it like or if you brought your like little disposable you know like one of those though they were like yellow kodak yeah. disposable that you'd you know bring to a club and like half the pictures wouldn't turn out but yep. <laughs> so yeah it was a I mean that the evolution of clubbing and stuff. So yeah, it was a lot of good times. Though yeah, and like yeah, I used to you know especially with vinyl, you need all your extra stuff. You know, I need lights. Like I want to say it was Heather that turned me on to like uh, DJ Heather, like using the lights for books, like with the clip on. Yeah, you know the little clip light. Yeah, like was a great thing. You know then I wouldn't have to like you know put the flashlight in my mouth. You know, <laughs> but that was like just. Yeah, so many times, you know, you're just playing in a dark, dark, dark yeah. ass place with like, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, I missed that one. You know, like the DJ booth used okay. to be a dark place. Like, it wasn't a feature. Yeah. Like, it, was, it wasn't any more lit than the dance floor. It was just all dark. Yep. <laughs> so, 
I mean, I, it's a different time, man. Though, and when I organized my records more, and which before they were just separated from, you know, U.S. and import, putting them away was a lot easier when I got home because I just take the imports, put them up. But now, once you have them organized, like now, actually taking the records that out of that I've been playing out of my, you know, I still use like a flight case. Like yeah. Kind of like pretend I'm having a gig if it's at home or wherever. But then putting away your records is a little bit harder than it used to be. I'm like, no, I got to put it away. Crap. <laughs> I got a, um, a question that's definitely, oh, somebody shouted out, uh, Farina at Velvet in St. Louis. Word. Word, word, word. Um, that's so funny. Some Walmart cameras. <laughs> Shout out to the audience. They're, they're very engaged. <laughs> they got a lot to say. I appreciate that. Um, you mentioned... Um, the club photographer, which uh, that, that that's a whole thing. Like I, I in, a, in a former life, I was the club flyer guy. So <laughs> I understand, you know, these roles. Um, but you have an incredible eye for photography. When did that develop? And um, just is it is it a, a catharsis? Is it a, a hobby? Is it a passion? Is, is it a moneymaker? Like, how do you? Um, it's just a hobby. Like, I've always... Like, I want to say in junior high, like, you, ha you had, um, you know, in Chicago where I went to junior high, they had, like, a photo class. And they had an actual, like, dark room in the basement of our junior high school. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was, I just remember, you know, I had a photo. And you needed to take the, take the photo class. And, like, the photo teacher was, I remember this, like, quirky dude. And, like, you know, he'd go in the dark room and have all the formulas and stuff and develop the pictures, you know, and, my dad was into photography a little bit. Like my parents weren't into music or anything, but my dad would take pictures of stuff. Like he had a like you know, like an old Pentax thirty five millimeter yeah. that he would let me play with when it didn't have film in it, and I would you know pretend to take little pictures. So yeah, it was just sort of a hobby always. And then you know then with like Instagram came up with pictures. I want to say like I want to say it was like yeah, DJ Heather was like you should get on Instagram. I'm like what's Instagram? You know like. <laughs> Like I didn't, like I think I was just doing Twitter at the time. That was about it. Yeah. You know, Somebody like, shouted out your Twitter too. Apparently, uh, your Twitter is lit according yep. to the, the audience. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So, sort of looked at Instagram as like like a little art project on the side, just to sort of. I mean, I don't really like using it to promote anything I'm doing. Like, I don't want to like, mm -hmm. and I don't like selfies and all that stuff. Like, I don't want a picture of me. Hey, I'm DJ and this Friday. <laughs> like. I mean, that I just like to sort of, and it was a bonus to be able to travel, you know, so I'm, yeah. when I'm driving around in the rental car, you go to a record store and like look around for things to take pictures of, it just sort of evolved into that. So yeah, I, I've been thinking about getting a real camera, but I just always use my phone. Then, you know, cause I was yeah. like, there's going to be one more thing to carry, like a camera, like, well, you know. I'm the, just, th the, the thing I appreciate about it, um, and, and, you know, as somebody who, um, like I, I work in social media um, when I'm not doing music and. I appreciate the fact that you doing that, even if you're not promoting your work or promoting your, you know, your music or streams um, on your social, documenting, you know, like the DJ road life and essentially that perspective and that eye still takes your listeners and your, you know, your, your viewers, your fans on a journey, you know, of, of your perspective, really, which is really what they want from all of us, right? Yeah. Like, they we want to be able to tap into our perspective and kind of drift, you know, either out of theirs into ours or merge, you know, compare and contrast their perspective with, with ours, you know? And so um, I, I just appreciate that, that that either way, I feel like you're still accomplishing even what you set out to not do, <laughs> which is market. Yeah. You know? I mean, same with Twitter. Like I, I think, I mean, other than my various anti-Trump rants that hopefully will be over soon, <laughs> I won't have to do them anymore. I try and keep it, I don't know, lighthearted, like a little just old stereos and different things, like not pushing a, a, a narrative, not trying to sell anything, just trying to put something that's not complaining. And I don't know, I find sometimes, you know, social media, there's still, there can be a lot of complaining. And like I said, sometimes yeah. I do that about our current government, which we won't get into, but. You, you know, I know about it. <laughs> you know, so. You know, I've said a lot. <laughs> like sometimes, you know, you just see like, Sometimes some feeds, like people are just all negative on their feeds, you know, like and I, I want to stay away from that, like try and put some color or something, you know, like a little history, like 
something just different. Yeah. And yeah, it seems to, and obviously with, I've had more free time since. Of course, yeah. You know, being locked down, but definitely just, you know, there's with phones, you can, you know, like when I was sitting in the airport, you know, that's when I like yeah, I'd take pictures and then sitting at the airport, I could go through them and yeah, do stuff. And that was like I said, a bonus of, that's why I still love, you know, renting cars because you can go around and check stuff out. Like, you know, you know, oh, I see like, uh, you know, I have a thing for old cars. Like I have an old Oldsmobile. Mm, yeah, I noticed. <laughs> but I go, oh, there's old car. You know, I'll, you know, pull it yeah. out, go back around and find a car and take a picture of it. And No, I've noticed that. Sam's thing is uh is tiny things. He loves it. <laughs> it's it's the funniest thing in the world. And so we are able to get together and you know, for instance, like on the on the, the European trips and stuff like that, seeing him come across these things and <laughs> it's just hilarious. Um, he actually, even you know, again in the the spirit of the, of, of the the little things, um, there was a point where he was sampling crickets. He had brought his his task cam out and he sampled. <laughs> And turn them into percussion. I don't even remember what yeah. track it up on, but they definitely did <laughs> up on our album. Um, but yeah, Croatian crickets, you know. It's <laughs> so hey, that's that, that, no, no, there's no limits, right? It's no boundaries, yeah. no rules. Yeah, I like. I mean, I like sampling weird spoken words, but I haven't gotten out in the field with a mic and recorded my own nature. I haven't gone to that. And this the story. We, we we probably don't have enough time to really go into that track. The story. But if you can't tell or if you don't know, I am a huge Gil Scott Heron fan. That is essentially mm. like my, like the, the voice, the conscious in the back of my head is that because basically my dad, who wasn't a musician, um, but he was, a, he was a social worker and then his kind of creative interest went into things like, like uh, play, like he did his own like independent play work and stuff like that. Mm. Um, which happened as I got older. So I kind of got to see him building that up when I was end up trying to build up independent music. But um, he didn't, he was a very philosophical dude, but he didn't necessarily say a lot, if that makes sense. And so mm-hmm. Gil's voice said a lot in our house. Um, Gil was just kind of narrating different things to the point that it's like, you know, if, um, you know, one of my uncles or something is over there who's who was addicted to dope and like he was kind of fed up with him. He throw on like the spirits album to like mm-hmm. encourage him to get up out the crib. <laughs> you know what I mean? So just I love what you did with that track. Um the story and you know even of course you brought up uh you know the Trump ranting. I mean that was essentially I was trying to channel that same energy into um you know into facts and, and kind of do my own spin on it. So yeah. Like how you guys tell I like I like the storytelling and the music thing is. Thank you. Like, it's I mean it's important. Yeah, it's funny with the story on Ohm. They like they didn't know that it was a sample. Like they didn't realize. Like wow. <laughs> I'm like well, you didn't know. Like I thought it was so obvious. You know, like and they like you know we send them the track. And they're like we love it, we love it. And then they like put it on the compilation. They're like and then like weeks later they're like. That's not your vocals. Like I thought you knew. Like, like <laughs> they're like, hopefully we won't get in trouble or something. I'm like, it was just funny though. I'm like, you didn't know. Like that was. Because like, I was definitely going to ask, what, what is what is clearing Gill Gill like in 2020? But <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Allegedly, nobody's listening from the the state. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all hypothetical. <laughs> I don't know. Do people still get, I mean, I guess it depends what you're putting out. Like, I remember when, you know, when vinyl was out, there was a bit more like you could get in trouble for stuff. Yeah. I don't know, when you get in trouble, do you, I mean, I guess it depends how blatantly you're. So a lot of times they're able to kind of like, so certain certain platforms will block certain things. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's really where, where, where you get hit. So for instance, um, I was definitely like as a hip hop producer, I was very sample heavy. And one of the tunes, one of the last, on the last like, rap album I did in my former duo, The Paxons, we did a tune where we sampled um, uh, a band called The Bird and the Bee, jazz band. And I guess sampled so much of it that when we dropped the video with this, you know, to this tune, YouTube was like, hey, that video, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Your music video does not, it's not gonna work because <laughs> you got this, this very large interpolation of, <laughs> so, yeah, and that was probably 10 years ago or 11 years ago. Oh. So, hey, I'm sure they've got it, got it figured out. In fact, Instagram actually...
post one of me and Sam's videos, it will take off. Like if it's longer than 30 seconds, it will just turn off. I mean, just block, block the content and be like, you don't own this. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I did sign that away to Warner Music Group. Got it. But I, I created it. So I do own it still. <laughs> oh, so, you know. Hopefully, I'm, I'm not sure if it's my, sometimes my studio doesn't get good Wi-Fi in here because for some reason it's like around the corner. So oh. I don't know if it was me cutting out or what. You got to get that range extender, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I need. I'm. I'm not too savvy with the whole, like, techie internet stuff. Like, that's not my. I'll, I'll mentor you. Huh? I'll mentor you. <laughs> yeah. Right. I need a whole like. I need to probably you know, get a, a, a have a line run in here with a router just to have. Yeah. It. Yeah. No, yeah. I got. I got to power that gear, man. Um, one last connection that I want to make, and I think it just kind of speaks to. Um, as we were talking, and this is something that I do in general, right? Like I, I try it, uh, whenever I talk to people who I haven't really talked to before, or when I, or people who do something that I'm interested in, I always ask questions, right? And I'm just, no matter where I go, it could be a security guard at a club, I'm asking about the fabric on their wristband. Like, <laughs> I just always want to know these things. Um, and so there's something I, I'm noticing, um, about just the intentionality, you know, when I talk to when I, everybody that I'm talking to, there's a certain trend of intentionality. And especially again, with these concepts of fusion and borrowing ideas from here and merging them with other things or taking a learning from here and using it there. Um, you talked about how the dark room, you know, kind of started off, started off this, this understanding and this, this passion for, you know, photography and this kind of respect for it. Um, even if it wasn't necessarily like a career, uh, you know, goal per se. And when I was in high school, I also had the, you know, the privilege of doing a photography class. My high school had a, a arts little program in it, Kenwood Academy on the South side, if, if you knew mm -hmm. that school. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that dark room, that was when Photoshop was first hit. And Ooh. so my, because I was like the dark room assistant, um, that was how I actually became like a designer, basically, you know, like I never, uh, or at least got into that aspect of things, which is, what kind of took me, what allowed me to navigate like Chicago hip hop and independent music spaces was the fact that I was a designer more so than the fact that I was a musician. Like I grew into my musicianship, but I kind of got to be around it through that. But that craft was literally, you know, kind of handed to me by my teacher, basically. He's like, look, if you be my darkroom assistant, I'll give you Photoshop. Ooh. And at a time when software is like a thousand dollars and nobody has personal computers. <laughs> you know? So um yeah so just you know little connection and, and and again just how these moments or these these little things provide sparks that kind of carry on carry us on for decades you know in your case so yeah i mean there's things you pick up along the way and yeah i mean i've always found a close connection between like i've been into art oh you know just like i was always loved you know, loved art class and i did take design i went to columbia I didn't last super long, but I was taking design stuff at Columbia, but I didn't, you know, I fin I did, I stopped going there like s end of sophomore year or something. Okay. And that was 89-ish, 88. Okay. Kind of right, like, I think computers were just starting to be used, like, in that circle. So, like, I didn't, like, I think I was a little early to get any access to computers, but I was always into the art you know like just visual stuff and then you know we used to make our own flyers back then you know we'd be at kinko's you know with scissors and cutting out mm -hmm. letters and doing all that and yeah i, found, I always found like you know there's like an audio visual connection from you know that started in high school yeah seventh eighth grade that that's that's definitely um how i see our music now i mean at, at this point I would say up until the new things that, that I've been working on, you know, in the pandemic, like at least going into, you know, no shade and, you know, leading up to that. Um, I had gotten to a place where it's like, I, if I, if, if I wrote a song, I had a concept for a video for it, you know? Mm. And, and it was largely because I saw the video to the music. Mm. Then seeing the video would tell me what to write, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you know, once things, you know, happen and everything's executed and it kind of comes out a certain way, then you're like, okay, 
yeah, that idea still makes sense, but we're just gonna, you know, do these things. And um, so that's something for me, like I, the, the audio and the visual is super duper connected. Um, now in the pandemic, it's, it, I've found that my conceptual lens has been kind of fogged, it's been really cloudy. Like I, you know, being a preacher in, in, in a New York City subway like we did in the facts video or like, you know, the worthy character riding around all over LA, like those concepts, I, I don't have those concepts right now, but I am really interested in craftsmanship. And so, you know, just getting back to, like, again, I told you, I'm really interested in, in, you know, getting these virtual performances up and running and things like that, because I really want to kind of hone in on the craft of, you know, the equipment, the production, you know, my, my wife and I, we, we create merch and clothing and things like that. So just those crafts, practicing those things. Hey, I got a guest. I think one of my little elves is, is uh, <laughs> crashing the set. <laughs> Come on in, son. Hi. Hey, what's up, Zay? Hi. <laughs> this is DJ Mark Farina. This is one of the DJs that, you know how you and your sister are always trying to uh, pretend like y'all are sneaking into the club? Yeah. <laughs> so back when I was a teenager and I was trying to sneak in the club, I, I got to see him DJ uh, years ago. And, and, and now we're making a little bit of music together. So <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> All right. You coming to get me? Coming to bring me in the house? <laughs> well, with that, you can do that in the house. I can do that in the house. Okay. Yeah. Well, with that said, brother Mark, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and end this. What I find is that I really enjoy talking, and I really enjoy having these conversations. You know, with with, with like-minded individuals. I, I think we all need it. And, and yeah, no, I'm, I've been on a little bit of a, I mean, an island here. You know, I'm sort of a quiet person like I said I'm not going out I'm just a single parent so it's definitely nice to have interaction conversations that are a bit beyond just some text messages maybe than I might normally do especially yeah. like I said during lockdown I haven't been going out I haven't I've been sort of and like I said being a, a single parent I've been a little overprotective about like you know like I don't want to preach to friends who like if they are taking COVID seriously or not I don't so I haven't been hanging yeah. out with a bunch of people because I don't want to question you. Like, have you been going out? You know, do you wear your mask? Like, and because if I get sick, there's nobody you know to take care of my son. So I've been yeah. extra protective. So yeah, it's nice to have interaction, and uh, I appreciate your all's work. And uh, so, hope we can do it again. For sure, brother. Talk so, man. Yeah, don't <laughs> leave me hanging. And you hey, made that that came out to warm notes. Um, you know, again, as as Mark said, you know, it, it might might take a while, but Mushroom Jazz Nine is potentially on it's the coming. way. And stay tuned for some collaborations between myself, Day of Dave and Sam, with uh, Brother Mark, and even maybe some remixes that might uh, see the light of day that uh, you know Mark has blessed us with. So, have a good one. Stay safe. All right, you too. Take care, y'all. Good night. <laughs>